Hello, welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded, the podcast from the Sophist Group. It's episode 195 today, and this is our special Christmas episode uh, on the 22nd mm. of December. So I'm Adrian, and I'm hosting as often I do, and uh, Asio Renault's with me for this one. Hi, Renault. Hello, yes, and uh, Merry Christmas to all the listeners in advance. Oh, oh, who knows when they listen to it, right? So yeah, maybe too late, actually. <laughs> well, you know, if you're listening and sometime in 2024, <laughs> uh, yeah, d- d- maybe just skip this part. But uh, the topic we're going to be discussing today, that is, it's uh, relevant no matter what time of year it is. But if you are settling down for a Christmas break and you're still looking for some, you know, great ideas, this is going to be a good one to... Uh, have a little bit of a break from all the craziness around the festive time. So what we're doing, we're covering strategies for ensuring product quality and products that basically consistently reach your expectations. And there are 13 strategies today. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure when you're listening, you can maybe think of more. And hey, uh, email us, get in touch and let us know. But these are going to help you go a long way towards basically obtaining consistent product quality and this is absolutely in your wheelhouse for now isn't it so you're going to put these into two buckets aren't you right right some of them let's say you are looking for a supplier you are developing the product you're going through the validations and so on pre-production right so the first bucket is before production and then yeah. the second bucket is okay there's some ongoing production then what to do but hey surprise mm-hmm. surprise most of the work is actually before production starts right mm-hmm. good preparation is quite important uh, but still during production there's still a lot of things because the first production batches usually the processes are not very mature and there's still issues to tackle one by one and, and so on so there's a lot of work also to to be done there so let's start first with some of those that are before production. So yeah. which, which one is the first on the list? <laughs> Doing your due diligence and factory audits. Mm, right, right. So this comes back to supplier selection, right? You want to work with a good supplier. If you work with a bad supplier, you're going to have a bad outcome. It's that mm. simple, okay? So if, you, if you're not going to produce in your own manufacturing facility to work with whatever, an OEM, an ODM, a contract manufacturer, some kind of supplier is going to take care of, of, of that and make production happen. And if you, well, how to say, it's got to be a good fit. It's got to be a good fit between you, your company and that supplier's company. Uh, meaning, you know, not too big, not too small, um, the right kind of um focus on uh, uh, quality and details versus uh, strong cost control on on, Mm. on massive quantities types of production, right? Um, You should feel that they are making products at the right quality level and the right uh, level of attention, I would say, for your market. Otherwise, you have a problem. Okay, so uh, based on that, typically... If you have relatively high quality requirements, you need to make sure they have the capability to make your product with few defectives. Okay, I'm trying to keep it simple here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but you need to to actually 
estimate and there are ways to do that, right? If they have the right quality systems in place and if their processes are capable of making parts and assembling products with as few defectives, defectives as possible. I think mm. in this episode, we don't want to go into the, the small weeds and the small details, right? But this is a, this is an important one. Due diligence, uh, including on-site factory edits, that's really important. Mm. What is the second one? Well, you mentioned something important there, and that's trying to find the factory that is capable of achieving mm. the quality that you're looking for. And so the next point is defining a quality standard. So, I mean, this literally is yeah. the quality that you're looking for. Yes, yes. And and this should not be like number one, number two, and so on. This is kind of yeah, yeah. maybe in parallel, or <laughs> right? So you 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 need to understand what quality level you need, right? What market are you going to sell onto? Is that market forgiving? Is that market going to see you as a relatively expensive option and then they will be less forgiving maybe, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's interesting as uh, in different verticals, uh, different product categories, also in different countries, in different distribution channels, different, uh, different things, can, the same thing can be acceptable or absolutely not acceptable, right? Mm. So you need to understand that. And nowadays, mm. especially if you sell in e-commerce and you can see in platforms like Amazon and, and others, you can see the reviews of your competitors. You can have an idea about what people tend to complain about, what they can and cannot accept. It gives you an idea, right? Mm. But you need to have a little bit of insight also into that. You need to, to understand what your target market really um, uh, is happy with or unhappy with, right? And then based on that, you need to document it, right? You need to define it, you need to document it so that you can properly onboard your manufacturer and explain, okay, this is what we need. This is the kind of problems that are really very serious problems. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, um, really make sure that they understand it, right? And not just the salesperson who might be a glorified translator, but really the people who um, who will be uh, developing the product, will be managing production, who'll be picking the, the, the suppliers of the, of the components, the people obviously in quality. All these people, they need, to, they need to understand that. So the proper way to do it is to document it, Quality runs on, on paper, right? On documents, mm. you, you can just say something and then expect that they will comply with it. And also it's very important because it's it's really part of your contract, right? And then if they make a production batch that does not comply with your requirements, with your standard, then you can go back to them and say, hey, you, you guys messed up. This is your responsibility. You have to do something about it. But if yeah. it's not documented, Especially if you buy in China, it does not exist. Right? Mm. In China or with Chinese suppliers. If it's not black on white and confirmed in writing and so on, and if you don't keep track of it, it doesn't exist. So again, I'm not going to go into all the details about how to do that, but it's really important to document your, your quality standard. And that mm. also um, involves samples. So as you... Uh, if you develop a new product or maybe you adapt an existing product of the supplier, you're going to get some samples, you're going to get some, some prototypes. And you need to uh, take photos of the problems. You need to see 
need to collect your your comments because all these comments are going to be very important. Also, they should become part of the the, the requirements, right? And the issues that that you know the issues that you see on the sample that they send to you, well, you should take photos of them and um, explain them right there and say you know what is not acceptable and why. So that later, if the same problems come back, it's very, very clear to everybody that it's not acceptable. Okay, so that that's yeah. quite the standard, right? Mm. And then I think the next one has to do with product design itself, right? Correct, yeah. So, I mean, that's product design with quality and, well, your customer's requirements in mind. So the different DFX approaches. Mm. Mm. Right, right. So here I'm... Assuming, okay, I'm assuming you, you, you're developing a new product. Yeah. Well, if you design the product in the simplest way uh, with a relatively inexperienced um, set of, of designers and design engineers, they're going to design it so that it works when they test it. And they're going to design it so that it, it looks the way the industrial designer wants it to look, for example, right? Mm. But you're going to have a product that has been designed, yeah, maybe without incorporating certain good design guidelines, okay? And that's why that's what you call DFX, design for excellence, or, right? Design for something, for certain purposes, yeah. right? So... If you want to make sure that it's not going to be prone to a lot of quality issues, then you do design for quality. And design for quality, where you already anticipate what types of quality issues might appear. Okay, you want this kind of surface treatment and this kind of material, etc. Okay, how robust is the process? Do we know, is this a very mature process? Do we know exactly how it's going to look? Is there any way it can go wrong? Um is this uh, how we're going to assemble this? Can we just snap, snap fit it, and, and or do we need to put some screws? Do we need to do something that you know? Do we need to put some glue? Oh wow, glue! Then we're going to have some whatever, some spills and and, and um, uh, some visual effect. Maybe if there's too much glue, or maybe there's not enough glue, and then it doesn't hold properly, or there might be all kinds of issues, right? So you design for quality, you review it for for, for these kinds of potentially issues. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, you simplify as much as possible. Uh, design for um, obviously design for manufacturing and assembly. Simple things to to keep costs down and keep you know keep the complexity down and 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 again make sure it's aligned with relatively mature processes to make sure that it can actually be be made and be assembled. So try to reduce the number of parts. Try to use as many standard you know commercial off the shelf mm-hmm. type of parts rather than custom designing your own parts and and so on and so forth, right? And very often these good design guidelines will help at the same time to bring costs down, to cost, let's say, the unit cost of production, but also make the development budget and timelines also smaller, right? And uh, and it should help with quality, right? And also Mm. with reliability. I mean, if you have a complex product, uh, complex development, a lot of custom, I don't know, custom firmware code that's written, and, and some you know different moving parts that are custom designed, and so on. You really, um, you really want to make sure it's really necessary to do that, right? Because it 
it has many more single points of failure, many more ways that things can go wrong, basically, right? And it pushes the cost of production up. So it, it means you will have to pay to, to, to charge a higher price. And also yep. the development will take, will take longer, will be more expensive and so on and so forth, right? So mm. good, good design guidelines, let's say. Uh, extremely important, helps at the same time with timelines and quality and um, and budget. So mm. um, definitely not something I would suggest people to skip, except for the very simplest types of products. Yeah, yeah, um, makes makes sense. Okay, so next up, and we're still very much in the sort of um, pre-production stage here, feasibility study i know we discussed this quite recently so no need to go into huge detail but uh, but i think a quick refresher on this that's this is a good one right right so um it's basically reviewing the product concept and getting to a clear plan about what a what the product is really going to to be like and how it's going to be made what what we're going to it and so on thinking of the architecture of of it uh, the structure of it, and doing proper risk analysis. Okay, basically doing a lot of planning work before jumping into the engineering design work. Okay, so yeah, we 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 did an episode on that maybe a bit more than a month ago, maybe yeah. a couple of months ago. So you you can refer to to that one. But basically, there's a lot of projects, and I'm. Talking mostly about electromechanical products here. Mm. There's a lot of products that get developed to the point where there were prototypes that look good, uh, that worked at least some of the time, <laughs> and that raised a lot of money and really um, made people very excited. But then they were unable to go into production and be delivered to the market. Why? Well, for a variety of reasons. But when you look at the, the root cause, is that they hurried up into development without properly thinking of mm. the challenges and the risks and tackling these, um, these these challenges and these risks from the beginning and designing around them, right? And picking the right architecture and saying no to certain features that came with a lot of risk. Etc. 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 They don't do that. They go straight to getting some kind of prototype that looks good, and they can make a video based on it. And then in the end, well, uh, they find out that no, we cannot. Um, you know, we have to do a deep redesign because this will not work that way. Um, or, or the manufacturer says, well, we we can do it that way. Like it's you know actually it's going to be much more expensive for for reasons X and Y, right? And all of that is because they. They skipped what we call the feasibility study or what others would call maybe the, the risk analysis and the, the, the early planning phase, right? It's really, really very important. As soon as you have a relatively innovative product, um, uh, an innovative product by definition has, is new in certain ways and it, it, it comes with it, its own unknowns, basically. You can just mm. take an existing product and just copy and paste it, right? It's just... Uh, follow all of the learnings that, that the other team already went through. And uh, I mean, some people, obviously, there's, there's a lot of copycats out there, but if that's not what you're doing, if you want to innovate and make a product that's new, well, don't skip that that that, uh, that stage. 
feasibility study. And if you really force through mass production with it, uh, usually you will have a lot of issues, either because of, well, usually because of poor design, right? And poor design will lead to a lot of, of, of quality issues. And you might say, well, this is the manufacturer's fault. They make it wrong and whatever. But in many cases, you look at it and you say, well, even a good manufacturer cannot make a badly designed product into a good product. It just doesn't happen, right? There's a lot of issues that are actually design issues. Um, and then these design issues lead to <laughs> bad reviews, returns, and, and bad publicity and so on, right? So that, that's that, that's one that's um, pretty, how to say, that, that is not intuitive. People tend to skip, but it's really, really important. What, what, so what is the next one? When we were talking about the quality standard earlier, you, you did mention the key word here, which is specify. And this mm-hmm. actually reminded me of last week when I was talking to Paul about product textures that are placed into the actual mold tooling themselves. So there's different methods of doing it. And he mentioned so clearly that all aspects of this, such as the depth of the grain and everything, has to be very clearly specified. Otherwise, you're just leaving your supplier, perhaps in particular Chinese suppliers, to just make it up as they go along, which might be okay, but it very well might not be. And and so specifying all aspects of the product to avoid interpretation. Yeah. Again, defining the quality standard by, might be with a golden sample, right? That you mm. approve when you're getting very close to mass production. But it's not enough for a number of things. Uh, for certain things, it's enough. Like maybe the, the the required texture and whatever. If the supplier can show you a sample that has the right surface treatment, uh, or, or maybe that's plastic injection molded with the right texture, then you can approve it and then... If they make production and for some reason is different, well, you can show it to them and say, no, this is not what I want. And ideally, you can measure it. You know, but maybe just by the visual aspect, you can say this, this is not correct. I think what Paul was uh, alluding to is when you are telling your um, plastic injection mold uh, tooling fabrication shop, hey, I want that kind of texture, then you need to explain to them and you need to quantify it as well as possible. So this is really yeah. during development. But yeah, very often people then use a, a golden sample, or at least a piece of the a piece of the surface, uh, you know, of the enclosure with the right uh, the right effect, and say, mm-hmm. okay, I want it exactly like this, right? And and if it's a mold and it's the same mold that's used, then no worries, right? No problem. But being specific, yeah, as you said, you're exactly right. And if, if you don't specify certain things, what will happen? Well, if you don't specify it, and let's say they have three options, you know, cheap but crappy, kind of um, uh, very common, not great, and let's go the extra mile and do something really nice, but it's more expensive and it takes Mm -hmm. more time. Which one are they going to pick? Especially if it's (laughs) their peak season or maybe they, they, they miss someone in that department or something. Which one you think... I mean, in uh, typical Chinese factories, this doesn't go up to the boss, doesn't go up to the salespeople. This is decided by, by, by people typically that you have never even seen. Behind the, 
behind the curtains, you know, maybe yeah. the purchasers, um, maybe the production people, you know, um, maybe still there's a, um, one of their engineers involved. Well, oh, um, we need to pick something. Oh, what, what has the customer said? Nothing. Okay, mm-hmm. then our quote doesn't include the better option, right? Of course not. Uh, okay, so what do we do? Well, if they don't, if they haven't told us, it's up to us, right? So let's pick the cheapest. And then, <laughs> are you happy with that in the end? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But that's what's happened so many times. And the typical, typical example of that is packing. A lot of people develop their product and they pay a lot of attention to the product and so on, but they don't, they don't specify the, the maybe the packaging. And they say, well, just do like what you do usually for your other customers or something, which means I don't know how to specify it. Please do it. Please, you know, I I, I leave it in your hands (laughs) and I hope you you make a good decision. Well, this is, this very often ends up being uh, crappy, cheap packaging. And in the worst cases, it doesn't protect the products which arrive uh, damaged and then you've lost everything in your batch, Mm -hmm. right? But then, can you go back to them? Um, if you said certain things like the, you know, it must adequately protect the product and so on, you can still go back to them and um, and ask for explanations and show them the product problem and try to to get them to be responsible in some way. I mean, it's never going to really compensate you, but at least you can go back to them. Uh, but mm. but then they might say, well, you know, it's your freight forwarder. We don't know what they did with the cartons after that. Blah blah blah. You know, if you talk to your freight forwarder, it's their problem. And then you you just go round and round. So this is the typical example. Okay, so specify mm. in in the details. Uh, try to put tolerances. Again, this is a big um, big pitfall when you have a golden sample. You say, okay, I want it exactly like that. But then they're going to say, well, there's some variation. You cannot do zero variation, yeah. right? So how much variation, you know, how much, like, but then if you don't specify it, and then maybe two parts don't even fit together, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or, or if you go with their um, their tolerances and and you don't review it, well, the tolerances might be super wide. And again, you know, if this, this side is in the, you know, close to the upper tolerance, this one is close to the lower tolerance, it doesn't fit. Or maybe it fits so nicely that it's completely loose, you know. So this is the kind of... Um, kind of things to, to think of. Uh, you, you can't really, I mean, if you, if you take a risk, yeah, you take a chance, you have to be aware that you are rolling the dice, basically. Right? Mm-hmm. So be, be specific and again, document black and white and get their confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so what is the next, uh, next point? Yeah, implement a quality assurance plan. Mm, right. So, so this is a typical mistake uh, by new buyers. They will think, well, I go to this manufacturer, they specialize in this type, this type of, uh, of, of product. They make it for other companies. They know exactly what they're doing. I will leave them in their hands. And then you don't think of actually yourself having certain approvals, you know, go, no go gates, just to make sure that they don't go ahead with something wrong, okay? You, 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 basically, you don't even think of, hey, I need to keep control over the process, and I'm going to block the process if certain things are not are not okay, right? 
And then once <laughs> these people have a bit of experience, they go and a few orders with a few different suppliers. Okay, then they know, well, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, right? <laughs> and that's basically a quality assurance plan uh, in its simplest form. Okay, well, it's a, there's a product in development, you know, I need to approve the samples before before I, I, I wire the, the advance payment, et cetera, et cetera. I need to, I need to approve this before I give the okay for production. I need to, I need to have a, um, if it's a new product, I need to have a, a pilot run pre-production uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. And I need to make sure that if there's compliance requirements, we send the samples to the lab. Uh, and if there's some uh, reliability, if reliability, durability is an important topic, we need also to have a plan for that. We need to send it to the lab, etc. And if, if it's not good, we don't go into production. We do another iteration of the design maybe, right? So all of this means the the buyer is in control of the process. And the the big buyers that have been doing that for a long, long time, think, you know, Apple, Dell, HP, and so on and so forth. Well, they have a very clear uh, quality assurance plan. I mean, Apple has thousands and thousands of people on site in country in China and more and more in India and Vietnam, right? They are intimately involved with um, product development, new product introduction process, the, the mass production, and so on. Uh, and they really have tight control over the, the, you know, everything that happens there. Now, if you're a SME, you, you, you don't really have that kind of resources, of course, but you need at least to have a plan and to, yeah, to organize some lab testing and some inspections and things like that. But we'll get to that. I think it's uh, some other points uh, in the mm-hmm. list, right? Mm-hmm. So well, let, let, let's get to the next point. What is it? Well, the next one, I think somewhat related for sure, quality management system. Right. So this comes back mostly to the manufacturer. Okay. Yeah. However, by the way, the the buyer should have some kind of quality management system also. Um, and it does include what I mentioned before, the quality assurance plan. But mm. let's just look at the, the manufacturer's quality management system. Okay, so if you've done a good job screening and qualifying the supplier, they have they have a quality management system. So quality management system basically, what does that system do? It sort of guides their actions uh, in a way that reduces the risk of bad things happening, and you know, you if you are the importer, for example, and your customer is being unhappy, right? Yeah. So it provides a framework. It includes again some go no go gates for for their processes internally. It requires them to do some reviews and some analysis and take action based on that, and to to keep an eye on their general management system, uh, you know, and and their processes to see if it's healthy. It makes sense. It's it's well adapted to the to the needs of of their operations. And if there are issues and when there are issues, they should take action to remedy these issues and uh, work on it at the root to prevent these same issues to come back again in the future, right? So if I really summarize it that way. And in in countries like China, like India, like Vietnam, um, you 
you can find factories that are everywhere along a continuum from zero system to very elaborate systems. Okay. Mm. And again, as I mentioned before, you need to find a supplier that is the right fit for your company. So if you're starting and you're just going to buy, you know, 500 pieces of a relatively simple product, inexpensive product, and you don't really have anything to, um, to make your project interesting to a larger manufacturer, well, then you would have to work with a relatively small manufacturer and relatively small manufacturers. In China, that means below 100 people, let's say, mm. okay, uh, in, in production. So, and typically, that's going to be a, uh, a company with a relatively light structure. And typically, again, um, there are exceptions, but typically a relatively immature and simple quality system, okay, which might be okay, but then you need to compensate that with your quality assurance plan. By the way, the pricing will probably be relatively interesting in these smaller companies. So that should leave you enough margin to conduct the type of monitoring and you know testing, inspection, and so on. That is necessary because they might not be doing it in a consistent and predictable way internally, right? Typically, mm. let's say the boss is there or his wife is checking, but then next week, the next order, well, you know, the lady is shopping in Shanghai and, and <laughs> the guy uh, the guy is busy on um, negotiating something with a supplier for a big deal or, or is busy on a, on a trade show trying to get some customers. Well, who's looking for your... Who's looking out, you know, for your production? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe nobody, right? Mm. So that's um, that's the kind of risk, right? So you need to be mm. aware of that, and you need to put in place the safeguards uh, to avoid yeah. receiving a batch that you cannot do anything with. Right. right. So okay. That's uh, the premise. Okay, and I think this is probably the last one that we put into the sort of pre-production bucket although not exclusively so quality and i'll put it in brackets compliance testing so yeah there's some testing during production but also some testing before production yes if it's a new if it's a new product and um you want to make sure that that product is compliant and well typically let's say you know electrical products and sold in the EU or, uh, you know, um, electronics with um, uh, like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or something like that in the US. Okay. Uh, there's a number of, of, of products that uh, that require some testing. Okay. Typically, at least for safety. Uh, okay. So do you want to go all the way to mass production send the money to purchase the components and, and, and make an entire batch. And then you're going to take samples from that batch, send to a lab to know, to do, 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 you know, the, the, the drums <laughs> running, if the product can legally be put on the market, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's really rolling the dice right there. So yeah. people typically do that earlier before mass production, right? And depending on the, the project, the timing can be a bit different if there's tooling involved and so on. And depending on the also 
how rushed the, pro the process is from, from tooling to pre-production to mass production, etc. So it is good in these cases to do some testing before production for compliance, as I mentioned, also for reliability, durability, very important. If you're going to put a product on the market for which uh, that topic is very important, well, again, you want to get the confirmation that it's okay, that the risk is relatively low. Otherwise, you might have an entire batch and then you know send it to, to your customers or deliver it to your customers. And maybe after a few weeks, I don't know, 20% of the products you know stop working. <laughs> what, mm. what, what kind of feedback is that going to give you? Very bad, <laughs> good. right? Yeah, returns are very expensive, you know, depending on the kind of product. Um, it might be worse, right? If it's a safety critical kind of product, yeah. And the safety feature doesn't work while well, you're opening yourself up for serious litigation, maybe. Okay. So that, mm -hmm. that's really one to, to keep in mind. Yeah. 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 Okay. So now we're sort of moving more on to the during and post production activities. Mm -hmm. Again, maybe not exclusively, but this, we'll call it the second bucket for the purposes of this. And, uh, Remember, these are going to also be strategies for, you know, ensuring you consistent product quality. So first one I've got is IQC on materials and components. Mm. Yeah, incoming quality control at the manufacturing facility before assembly. Okay, before some of the, the processes that basically will lead to the finished and packed product. Yeah. Well, that, okay, if you work with, pretty good, pretty sophisticated manufacturers. Yeah, they will be doing that, of course. They will be very aware that if this is not done the proper way, you can come back to bite them, okay? Um, however, if you work with uh, small, smaller factories, they might not, um, they might not do it, they might skip it. Or let's say they might do it where they see the risk maybe in a non-systematic, non-reasonable um, non manner, okay? Um, and they might do it just checking one or two products. Okay, I open the carton, I check if it's the right kind of part that is sent to me. Yeah, okay. But they don't even check if it's black or blue, right? This is not incoming quality control, but it is very common. But just to check the quantity. Okay, did the supplier mess up with us or not. Okay. I don't check if, if the, the, the component is good. I just check if it's, you know, in the right quantity. <laughs> this is not incoming quality control. This is uh, uh, stocking, uh, you know, at, at warehouse. It's just a quick stocking check. It's very different. So mm. also, um, if they work with some suppliers of components, who are in their extended family or let's say, you know, very close to them socially, you know, from the same hometown and things like that, they might not check just to avoid sending a batch back and sort of causing the other party to lose the face. So they might just, okay, the delivery, oh, thank you, thank you. Okay, let's go into assembly right away. And then maybe you find that on assembled products and finished products, this is no good. And then they were, oh, yeah, oh, it's our supplier. Yeah, right, right. Like, you know, not taking any responsibility. But wait a minute, it's your supplier. You pick that supplier. 
you're supposed to have a look at it before you you use the products to assemble, right? The, the components to assemble, right? Well, <laughs> there's some funny conversations some sometimes. So you need to make sure that they do income inclusive. And really, if your project is a big project for them, you should not be afraid of pushing them. Hey, give me your criteria for acceptance of this and this kind of uh, components, mm. especially for the custom design components, like the pieces of the enclosure that will be visible to the user, things like that. You, you want to know, okay, how are you going to do that? Or the PCBA, okay, well, is there a, you know, function testing uh, rig or what you know how do you confirm that 100% of the PCBAs work right where is it tested you need to push a bit for that otherwise mm, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, once it's embedded in a final product good luck basically yeah. right yeah so this is a totally absolutely must not skip kind mm -hmm. of step Mm, absolutely yeah good one okay product inspections so that could be during production mm -hmm. and and of course afterwards as well right all right so going back to the qa plan right yeah the qa program quality assurance on your side on the buyer's side again if you work with a very sophisticated supplier and they have a track record of delivering good quality to you and so on good you know great okay now, if that's not the case, you have to have your own way of controlling what happens in your supply chain. And in the most basic ways, this includes you sending someone to the factory to actually you know, look at some of the products. Do they look the right way? Do they, uh, do they work the right way? And based on the standard that you have, defined right this was one of the earlier points based on the standard they have defined and documented well that standard should lead to a checklist right and yeah. they should check the the products and, and the packaging and the labeling and the whole thing against that checklist so you see how things are coming together right you need to have your hand on on on, on your eyes on what's going on at the factory Right. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of companies that do this. We've been doing that for what, 17 years in our yeah. department. So, and what we usually say is look, in most of the cases, you will want to do a final random inspection, which is really when everything or nearly everything is fully packed in cartons. You can go in, you can count, you can really pick some uh, samples at random. Right, and you can really check and confirm the average quality, including the packaging, uh, you know, of the entire batch. So that's great, and it keeps pressure on the supplier. Um, not so easy for them to play games, right? However, if it's the first time that this factory makes this product, or they've had some issues before, you really want to do some inspections during production mm -hmm. to avoid the situation where you send someone or you go yourself um, just before shipment and you find some issues and say, no, no, you're not going to ship this, you know, day after tomorrow. No, forget about it. You're not shipping this. You need to rework. And then they say, well, we can really re rework it. You know, like now that this is all put together, we can't even, what are we going to do? Break the product? So, you know, it's, and then maybe 
since it was going to be very painful for them to do rework and maybe they will have to actually reproduce at a huge loss maybe. But they're going to, they're going to use some tricks. They're going to push back on you, right? So this is where, again, the documentation of the quality standard is very important. Um, also having a uh, an enforceable contract can help you by giving you some extra leverage. But you don't want to be in that situation anyway because you've sent them mm. some money. You know, chances are you sent what thirty percent, or you know, maybe they have your your molds. I mean, you, you don't want to get into a big fight against them. So if you send someone during production, you 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 notice the issues then, and you can say, okay, guys, stop production, fix these issues, look for the look for the the, the reason for these issues. If everything is fine, you can resume production. You would be there again to check, right? You don't get to the point where you have a bunch of ten thousand products all made, all packaged, and then they don't even want to open the package to do anything. This is really, mm. really bad. Okay, so mm. that that's why um, you know during production versus uh, before shipment, mm. uh, you might want to do both until there is a track record. Right then, you only mm-hmm. do final random inspection, and then once they have a very good track record, yeah, you can skip some routes or just stop entirely. Yeah, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, regardless of the supplier for new ones, it makes sense to do it more and then sort of scale it down as as they become more familiar mm-hmm. and more sort of trusted by you. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's really good advice. Okay, continuing on, actually, when we're doing production, then uh, and looking at the factory itself, process control. I mean, this is a big topic, so you know, mm. right? Uh, process control basically. The key idea is focus on the process because a good process will give you a good product. Or at least mm. if all mm. the processes involved are good, it will give you a good product. You know, And if also the design is good, right? But let's yeah. say design was before production. It's too late to look at design. You look at the, the, uh, the processes. And let's take an example. I don't know if it's some, um, some stamped parts. Well, how are they actually keeping the, the process under control, right? Maybe there's a certain jig or something. Okay, do they make sure they load the right jig? Do they have a first article inspection? Do they have someone coming to check the parts regularly to make sure that it doesn't deviate, doesn't, you know, there's, there's no issues with that? How to make sure they don't load the wrong parts into the stamping mm-hmm. machine and so on and so forth, right? So they need to, to keep that process under control and then when they see something, deviation, they should act, right? They should not make a batch of 20,000 stamped parts and then in the next operation, two weeks later, they find that oh, uh, it's not the right way, we need to redo it all over again, right? This is really bad because it's going to lead to uh, production delays but maybe sometimes they will not even see it maybe 5%, 10% of the parts are bad or or 20%, maybe they don't see it. They incorporate it into the next uh, the, the, the next um, processes and it gives you the final product that is not acceptable, right? So that's the, the concept of process control. It can be done with statistics, okay? That's especially important if you want to keep an eye on, on the variation of certain uh, characteristics of, of, uh, of the parts that are made. Um so, I mean, we, we cover that for, for a long time because it's really a very big topic. But the key yeah. idea is 
the process capability of the manufacturer and the, you know, all the manufacturers, right? Not just your direct supplier, but their mm-hmm. suppliers. Um, looking at the critical process steps, how do they actually keep it under control, right? And there might be there there are many different ways to do this. Not just having an inspector check from time to time. <laughs> okay, they might have. Uh, like like we have an Agilian, they, they might have uh, automated optical inspection um, for certain types of products. It makes a lot of sense. For example, we have it. We use it for example when we we make some uh, keyboards for 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 a customer. Well, it's very easy to misplace the keys, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. you, you have a, a Sony camera and an American software prop. Um, you know, the keyboard goes into a fixture, prop, it does its job and it tells you right away, okay, passed, 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 you know, all the keys are are in the right orientation and the right place and there's no other issues and there's no, there's no scratch, there's no, there's no issues like that, right? So very, um, okay, there's a lot of ways to do this. Okay, the key idea is to keep the processes under control, otherwise anything could happen. It's very risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next one, mistake proofing. You sort of it's you alluded to it in process control when you're talking about jigs and making sure that people yeah. are putting parts in the right place. And and so mistake proofing yeah. is kind of a part of this. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So when you have manual you know, human operation, manual operations, you for example, when they do um drilling, you know, they could do load the part in the wrong orientation or the wrong you know, the wrong side or something, and then they drill. And they might do it right 80% of the time and wrong 20% of the time, right? But then if you, um, if you make a little change to the fixture so that they can only put it in the fixture the right way, otherwise it will not fit and it's pretty obvious, then you eliminate that source of risk. And by the way, in many cases, it's not just a matter of changing the fixture. Sometimes it's also a matter of changing the, the, the design of the parts, right? So this goes back to um, design for quality that we discussed earlier. You, you need to think of all that ahead of time and, and um you need to think basically of the manufacturing process and the risks, right? For the manual operations, if you design it that way, then you don't allow for that common type of problem. Boom, you've eliminated a lot of quality issues. So good mistake proofing, it does take a, a process engineer typically with a little bit of, and it's a really good uh, mistake proofing system if it really does not make the operation slower. So even when it's a rush, it's midnight, and they still have these 200 pieces to make, you know, they will not skip it. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> if it slows things down, middle of the night, they will skip it. Okay. Mm. That's where you have quality issues that nobody understands where they come from, right? Yeah. So, important point here. <laughs> The manufacturing yeah. processes is capable of it. making quality issues as a bad design, yeah. right? So you might have the perfectly designed yes. and tested product, but if mm-hmm. something's going wrong on the shop floor, then boom, yeah. there, there you go. You've got your defects. And as you said, you might be scratching your head. Well, why? Why? How can it be this way? Okay. Right. <laughs> so the last one, traceability in the supply chain. Mm. Now, 
let's say you do all these and it is great, then you know it, it doesn't mean your risk is zero. From time to yeah. time, it's going to be a batch from a supplier that has a bit of variation, and you haven't picked up on that variation, or you haven't validated that it can still go into a, a good finished product. And then you, you know, the, the the manufacturer goes through all the all the stops, and maybe maybe sends you know sends the batch, and it's dispatched to stores or to to end users. And then there is an issue, and then oh, an issue is found, and then it's a very serious issue, you know. And this is especially a big problem again for safety. Well, then when you send a, a, a car a brake system, you know, oh, very, very, very serious, right? Or airbags or something like. That. Mm-hmm. And you see, oh, we've shipped some of this, get some samples back. You do a failure analysis and so on and so forth, and really you want to identify what is the unique numbers, okay? And from and more importantly, yeah, what batch, what batch do they come from? And then if you have traceability at least at least to the batch level, you can more or less pinpoint okay the that part of it. I don't know, maybe it was the the steel part. Okay, the steel was not the right grade. Okay, so it was, which batch of steel was bad? Because we we get you know twenty batches of steel from two different suppliers, how do we know, right? But if you have good traceability, even to the okay, well we had failures on these three products, and all of them correspond to that batch of steel. So what we need to do is we need to contain as much as possible, or maybe in the worst case, recall all the products that are made from this batch. Uh, this bad batch of of steel, okay. So that's mm-hmm. where traceability can really save you an enormous amount of uh, of money. Because otherwise, if you don't have any kind of traceability, then you have to stop selling everything mm-hmm. and recheck everything, and maybe recall everything you've made for the past two years or something like that, wow. right? If you don't have that kind of that, that way of isolating, where does that come from? So uh, traceability very very important. Even without looking at these kinds of um, you know worst case uh, situations, it really helps to do some troubleshooting and to understand where the issues come from, and uh, test and uh, validate that really comes from that issue, and really understand over time understand what what kind of issues can can lead to yeah. you know to what kind of consequences. Is, is very very important for quality management. Mm. So yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> wow, these are I, we've we've taken a big yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah, and there's a a bunch of tools that should all come together basically, you know, mm. yeah, more or less, right? With different different makes for different types of products mm-hmm. uh, that go into different kinds of markets and that are more or less regulated, uh, but this is a good a good list to start from basically yeah to think okay what am i missing <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the objective here yes and the good news is that you and we have written about most of these topics probably more than once in many cases oh, yeah. so if you're wondering what to do during the christmas break 
well, don't worry, because I'm going to leave links to a whole bunch of related blog posts and maybe videos and things like that in the show notes. And so when you're chilling out uh, during the holidays, you can dive into those as, as you like and, and go a lot deeper on these uh, 13 topics for ensuring sort of consistent product quality. But I think we call it to a close now. And uh, once again, to everybody listening, happy holidays. Uh, I hope everyone has a great break. And also wishing the same to you, Renaud. Yeah, thanks. Well, same to you too. <laughs> After a good year of uh, putting, it out, putting out a lot of this podcast and helping us uh, inform a lot of uh, Bit of content in an easily digestible way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Break. Absolutely. So um, we'll take a break between Christmas and the new year. And then once we're into week one of January 2024, we'll be back as normal. So just a little pause on the podcast. If you've got any ideas about what you'd like us to cover in 2024, though, please, you know, get in touch on sophies.com, send us a message. We'd love to hear your ideas and we'll try and cover those as well. Thanks, Renaud. Back very, very soon with the next episode. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T tcom to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.